The BS Report is a free-flowing conversation that occasionally touches on mature subjects. The BS Report. The BS Report with Ben Simmons. Welcome to the BS Report, part two of our Friday mega trade deadline extravaganza. If you missed the column that we wrote right after the trade deadline yesterday on Grantland.com, me and a whole bunch of other people are writing our real-time thoughts as the trade deadline unfolded. If you missed part one, called my buddy Joe House and I called Tom Haberstro from ESPN.com. His first appearance in the BS Report, actually. Uh, and we talked to them about the trade deadline now. One of my favorite guests, he is an accomplished gambler. He is a great Twitter follow. He's one of the smartest NBA fans I know. He's on right now. Haralabob Vulgaris, how are you? I'm doing well, Bill. How are you doing? What was your favorite trade yesterday? My favorite trade? Um, I thought a lot of the trades were kind of, they were interesting, but I don't think they really changed the picture too much in terms of the playoff picture. But I thought Portland uh, picked up a decent pickup for them in a flalo. I thought that wasn't bad. Um, that was probably my favorite trade. The, I mean, the OKC trade they made was kind of good because now they've got more of an idea as to what they want to go with. Um, that was all right. right, I suppose. But there wasn't really any spectacular trades that really made you go, oh, wow, this really changed the playoff picture a lot. So you didn't feel – I mean, we don't know what Chris Bosh's health situation is going to be, but you didn't feel when they got Dragic that Miami was a real contender? No. Um, I mean, I could be wrong. I think Dragic is a fine player, and it definitely in, in, improves their team a lot. But I don't think he was like the one piece that was going to catapult. I mean, look, they couldn't win the championship last year with LeBron James. I don't know how <laughs> swapping <laughs> Goran Dragic for LeBron James – I guess now they have Whiteside, which is which is the only real difference is going to – I mean, they have no depth. That team has absolutely no depth. If you look at their roster now, especially, they got they had to get rid of a bunch of pieces. They don't really have a bench at all. I don't really right. I don't really see how that team – I mean, it's interesting. They'll be an interesting playoff team, and they'll be a tough playoff out, and they might surprise people in a series or two, but I don't, I don't think they were going to contend or anything, even with a healthy Chris Bosh. Who's your favorite team in the East right now? Uh, I like the Hawks. I liked them at the start of the year, and um, I like them now. I mean, I don't know how anyone could have a, a – I mean, Cleveland is, is, is playing really well, and they're a lot of fun to watch right now, and they'll probably be there when everything's said and done. But as far as my personal favorite team, the team I like to watch the most and the team I enjoy watching, it's, it's the Hawks. Who's the team that you would bet on in the East to make It would finals? depend on the prices, obviously. If every team was – Given the same odds, uh, I would bet on the Hawks. But I think it depends on how valued or undervalued they'd be. They may be an underdog in one series, in which case I'd want to bet them. They may be a heavy favorite in one series, in which case I wouldn't want to bet them. So it all really depends on on the prices and how and how things are, are going at come playoff time. Yeah, but you know what's going to happen. They're yeah, going to play Cleveland. They're going to play Cleveland at some point, and Cleveland is going to be well, what do you think? Probably the two or three that? to one favorites. I mean, if they were, well, uh, yeah, if they were a two or three to one underdog versus the Cavs, of course, I would take Atlanta every day. I'm just not sure that'll be the case. I think that I don't know what the price will be. It depends. A lot of these, a lot of these playoff prices really depend on what happened the previous series. Like if a team sweeps, Cleveland were to sweep a team, and Atlanta were to go six or seven games, that'll change the price dramatically. You see that a yeah. lot. Um, so that, that really, really depends a lot on, on, on the team's form going in, I suppose. But as of right now, I would, 
take them over any team in, in the East, and I would take them over the field probably as well. Wow. They're, they're a really good team. They're fun to watch. No, I'm with you. I'm just, I, I like hearing other people talk about it because I, I feel like I'm crazy because like you, I watch basketball, and the Hawks just kill people, and they beat good teams, and they've had more good wins than anyone in the league, and they know who they are. And they play great together, and everybody's just kind of going, yeah, but – and that, and it's been four months of yeah, but. Even right now, I'm looking at the sportsbook.com Eastern Conference odds. The Cavs are plus 120. The Hawks are plus 250. Yeah, that's crazy. Sh- Chicago is plus 360. And then Toronto plus 1,300. Washington, 17 to 1. Miami's 35 to 1. Indiana's 75 to 1 and so on. But so, so- – they if I was think, forced to they, bet any one of those ones, I would probably just bet Washington because that price seems to be 17 to 1. I think they would probably get there more than one in 17 times. But the rest of the prices, there probably isn't any value there. I agree with you on Washington. I also think – I know he's been on 45 teams, but I do think Sessions is is has a chance to at least be better than what I watched from Andre Miller. If he can just kind of get to the basket three times a game, even that will be an upgrade. Uh West Coast, Western Conference, sorry. Golden State plus 220, San Antonio plus 400, Memphis plus 500, which still seems a little high. Uh, OKC plus 550, Dallas 900, Clips 10 to 1, which I was yeah. surprised by. Rockets 18 to 1, Portland 18 to 1. What are you liking that? Um, I mean, all those odds suck for the most part. We got to find like a different. Sportsbook, one that we can. I'm not a big fan of the one that you mentioned in your. I don't know if they're paying you or what. I'm not a big fan of them. No, but um, not paying. Yeah, I'll so go I to Bavada if you want. No, they're even. They're the worst of the worst. You can't deal with any of these sports books who basically kick out anyone who has a brain. So you got to find like oh, okay. one. We'll we'll find a good book that we're not trying to promote, or maybe just use like a Las Vegas one, seeing as how those are like really the only ones that are legal for Americans to begin with. But um, of those prices, in terms of, I don't know. I mean, I like. Obviously, the West is going to be exciting. I like it. So much of it just depends on how the seeding two through eight shakes out. Because if Golden State has to go through Oklahoma City, then has to mm-hmm. go through like a Portland, um, that might be really, really tough on them. If they have to play Oklahoma City, then they have to play like a Memphis or whatever. I mean, it's just obviously Golden State are the prohibitive favorites, and there's very little. I think short of an injury that would change that. Um, no team in the, in the West really made like a big trade that would say, Oh, now they're the favorite. Um, but look, I think that they're really rooting for Oklahoma city to catch one of these other teams because they don't want to play Oklahoma city in the first round if they can avoid it. Tom Haberstrow and I just talked about that. Uh, we don't know if the, who can tell if Durant's hurt or what's going on there, but if, if they're just healthy the rest of the way, the way Westbrook's playing and the depth that they have now, I don't see how they, they I think they have 28 games left. Mm. They're going to go 21 and seven or 22 and six. Like they're just too talented. Yeah. And on the flip side, you look at a team like Dallas that I think Dallas is five games ahead of them in the loss column, but Dallas is 10 and 10 in their last 20. And we have now reached the, pl- the point of the podcast where I have to admit defeat. You and I went head to head on the Rondo trade. We usually agree on everything. <laughs> No, 90% of the time we agree on big picture, what's going to happen. Do you like this or not? And you, you and I usually gravitate in the same directions. Mm-hmm. 
and this time we were we were opposed and I I, I think I'm admitting defeat. I don't yeah, I don't know. I don't know that Rondo I don't know that it's done but it doesn't look good for them. It it, it um I watched him even play yesterday and I saw him like get the ball with a wide open jump shot jump and then pass the ball out of bounds like off of Chandler Parsons' waist because he didn't want to shoot yeah. and he decided mid mid jump shot that he just didn't want to shoot a wide open jump shot. And I think maybe that's something that you can work on during the off season. Maybe he can get a better jumper. But um, yeah, I think it's tough to incorporate someone who's as ball dominant as he is into that offense. And the other thing is, is I think that's hurting him is Dirk just hasn't been right this year. Um, yeah, he's missing a lot of the shots old. that he was hitting. Yeah, he's, he's yeah he's getting. He might just be on the downward slope forever. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, I don't know. I, I would say that it probably doesn't look good for Dallas. Uh, and there's a chance that if they go 500 the rest of the way, Oklahoma City could very easily catch them, like you said. I haven't looked at Oklahoma City's schedule. I haven't taken a look at it and seen how difficult it is or anything. But um, I imagine it's somewhat difficult, but I could be wrong. 10 and 10 in a 20-game stretch is not a good sign. 20-game no. is, a, is a decent sample size. In that, and also, like, just from an eye test standpoint, if you watch all the West teams, Dallas seems like just the most beatable. Yeah. You know, just night to night. Just feel like, oh, that's a team. They got no bench. They got Charlie Villanueva going out there. Rondo's afraid to shoot or get fouled. Uh, Dirk has not looked the same. And uh, it just looks like the weakest team where it's like, you know, I watched San Antonio Clips last night. Really good game. Could have gone either way. Uh, I don't love this Clipper team, but they have the X factor of Jamal can make big shots. You never know when they're going to happen. And then Chris can just, you know, when it seems like the game's slipping away, he just takes the ball the entire time and then makes a 15-footer. Yeah. Um, that, they're going to be a really tough out. Yeah, they're going to be really tough in the playoffs like they've always been. Although people always thought, well, okay, how come he's never gotten the team to the Western Conference Finals? And maybe that's a fair question, but... Um, they're a tough out for sure. What what did you think of the twenty eight free throws that DeAndre Jordan shot yesterday? Were you a fan of that? <laughs> From a I hate it. Standpoint? I hate it, and I even hate it more when people like my friend Jalen say, "Look, free throws are part of the game. You got to make these." I like the strategy. It's like it's terrible to watch. It ruined the game. And I said to House earlier, I think. I think we should have a rule that in, until it's the last two minutes of the game, if you get fouled, you don't have to shoot the free throws. You can just take the ball out of bounds. It would be interesting if we had that rule, what teams would do in a situation like DeAndre last night. I feel like the Clippers would have said, all right, we're going to take the ball out of bounds. Thanks. You just got an extra foul on your team. You know what I mean? And then, yeah, then that's that one ends. way of doing it for sure. The other way of doing it is just the way I've always advocated is, is why is an intentional foul? one rule when it's an intentional foul and it's not a play on the ball and it's a flagrant foul or it's a clear pass foul. Why is that treated one way, but an intentional foul where you just like pat a guy several times in the chest because you're trying to foul him intentionally. and It's not a play on. Why is that treated differently? Why is that just two free throws or a regular foul of two free throws in your bonus? Whereas if you intent, if you make a play away from the ball that's or away from the, not, not a play on the ball, it's ruled an intentional foul or a flagrant foul. Or a clear pass right. foul, and that's two free throws in the ball. I don't know why. It's, I mean, it doesn't seem like it's a basketball play. They just make a rule. If you're not making a basketball play, whether it's trying to take away a layup or whether it's trying to intentionally foul a player, it could just be two free throws in the foul, and that would stop it. I don't know. I don't like it at all. I, I'm 
I know free throws are a part of the game and it's unfair that other people can stay on the court because they can shoot free throws and, and, and DeAndre gets a pass. But it's just the NBA talks about trying to make these broadcasts more TV friendly and more fan friendly. It's just not fun to watch. It's just, it's terrible. Not only is it not fun to watch, but that game yesterday, the time of the game was two hours and 47 minutes for a game that didn't go into overtime. And it probably started late. So probably started at like, you know, 7.40 West Coast time or 7.45, whatever. That's ridiculous. Beat a, yeah. beat a basketball game until 11 at night? What are you doing? Yeah. Just fix it. It's such an easy fix. I, I hate it. The rule is if, if, if you have whatever outcome happening in your game that is, it makes fans unhappy, then change it. Nobody's like, oh, great. I got to watch DeAndre Jordan shoot 28 free throws last night. It's idiotic. <laughs> Yeah, it's really brutal to watch. I actually turned it off. I was just kidding. I couldn't take it anymore. I was like, this is boring. They didn't do it the entire game, but they did it for the entire second quarter, it seemed, and most right. of the third quarter, which wasn't very pleasant to watch. Um, OKC, bunch of pieces moved around. They now have Enos Cantor on their team. They have Deion Waiters. They have Kyle Singler, who you and I both like. Yeah, I uh, like that pickup a lot. So where do you, where do you stand just – from a depth standpoint, from a playoff team standpoint, do you think Canner is going to be good for them? What are you thinking? Um, I think Canner is the, the one thing I don't, I don't like, I would love that team a lot more if they didn't have Dion waiters on that team. I just don't think he's a good basketball player. And I don't think Scott Brooks has the authority or foresight to not play him um, as much as he's, I mean, he's just playing. He does the idea that you're going to have, okay, you have Russell Westbrook and he's a little bit ball dominant. And then you're going to go with Dion Waiters as your like your cheap Jamal Crawford version, six man type guy. I just don't think it's a good pickup for him. I think they, I think everything else on their team is really nice. I think Canner is like he's pretty young and they'll probably be able to re-sign him. Um, he's not a very good defensive player and he's probably not as good as he thinks he is, which I think is true of pretty much everyone, including myself. Um, but uh, I like it. I like the team. I, I just, I wish they didn't. I would like the team a lot more if they didn't have Dion Waiters on the team. I guess would be my, my short answer to that. When Scott Brook takes out Westbrook and Durant at the same time, does a part of you die inside? <laughs> I don't know. I'll see if he does it in the playoffs. Of course, a part. I mean, this is the thing. This, this whole regular season is their playoffs. It, yeah. Every game is so important to them, and he still does it all the time. And I just don't, it doesn't make any sense. I don't, there's no rule that says you have to rest your players at a certain point in the game together all, I mean, it doesn't, he, I, yeah, I don't understand why he does it. And furthermore, I don't understand why no one has pointed this out to him. And, and like, has anyone ever asked them this question and bring a presser? What his no. response has been? Kids gloves with Scott Brooks all the way around. I, uh, it's funny because Westbrook and Durant now are just surly with the media. And it, part of it is because there's been so much Scott Brooks bitching by people like us on Twitter and, right. and writers and stuff. But it's like, we all like Durant and Westbrook. We just want to see them coach correctly. Sure. It's yeah. It's not like we're against those guys. It's like you don't realize like your coach is taking you both out of the game at the same time. It is the dumbest thing that's happening over and over again in the NBA, and it drives us crazy. We don't have anything against Scott Brooks. He just does stupid things like that. He um yeah, he's interesting to 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 watch coach. I mean, obviously I've been pretty harsh on him over the years and yeah. um like what I said before is if I had a kid, I'd want him 
coaching my kid. He seems like a great person. I just wouldn't want my, him coaching my basketball team if I owned a, a professional basketball team. Yeah, if you if you your seventh grade team, you'd want him coaching. <laughs> even the college great. team, even like yeah. or like him on the seventy sixers would be great. Him trying to coach that group of players, and he seems like a great a great role model, and he always has a good a good message and all that other stuff, and he seems like a good person. But yeah, in terms of like X's and O's and basketball theory, I would want him competing with like Rick Carlisle or Greg Popovich. That's for sure. It's really unfair. It is strange when coaches don't learn obvious stuff from people that are complaining about it all the time. I'm sure there's some reason he has for Durant and Westbrook that's some old school 1980s reason of, oh, you got to get your bench. You got to prepare your bench to play if those guys aren't out there, you know, and all that stuff. But it's like, all right, dude, but you you could have 48 minutes where either Westbrook or Durant or Westbrook and Durant together are in control of your offense. Yeah, it seems like such an easy, simple uh, yeah. problem to solve. The one thing I will give him credit for is they kind of, he took a lot of flack for, for, for starting Perkins in the finals for every game. Um, yes. And then getting in Miami had like Shane Battier playing the four and just getting wide open three pointer. They seem to, have, they seem to have learned from that. It took them a couple of years, but they seem to have learned from the fact, you know, they, they try to get like Ibaka stretched all the way out as a stretch four. Now they, they, they start playing um, Durant a little bit more at the four every once in a while. They had Collison last night stretched out. So they, he seems to have learned a little. I mean, then they traded away Perkins, which is huge, um, which might have been the greatest thing the team did just because now he's he's freed from, you know, they don't have to worry about Brooks playing him too much. Right. Um, it was the most important trade of the season, just them getting rid of Kendrick Perkins. <laughs> Possibly, yeah. We'll see. We'll probably say the next year that the most, the most important trade was, was, was them getting Deion Waiters. And the, the one thing I like about Deion Waiters is just like the frantic waving of the arm when he's open. I don't know if you've ever seen yeah. like all the vines. He's, anytime he's open, he's going crazy for the ball and stamping his feet. It's like the funniest. There's like someone put together like a four-minute clip of LeBron looking off the <laughs> wide open Deion Waiters in the corner or Deion Waiters anywhere and him just like frantically waving his arms all the time. That's, I it's like funny because my, uh, my seven-year-old son is in a basketball league of seven- and eight-year-olds, and pretty much everyone in the, in at that level does that when they don't have the ball. They just stand and they jump up and down with their hands up. <laughs> And that's what Dan Waiters does, and he's like 23 years old. It's like he's playing. He's like the only person who's playing flag football out there. <laughs> Everyone else is playing basketball, and he's like playing flag. Like I'm open. You got to give it to me. You got to give it to me. But um, I don't. Know. I don't see that team. Uh, yeah, I don't see that team being an easy out at all. As I'm sure everyone is. Everyone else. The one thing that's interesting to me is the Phoenix seems to have. I don't want to say they've they've hit the. I mean, people talk about about Philadelphia hitting the reset button, but Phoenix kind of they're not resetting in the terms of they're trying to tank, but they decided they were going to go with like this three point guard look. And then they just kind of abandoned that by trading away two of the three point guards and getting one back in return. I thought that was kind of it. So it, I want, I guess they're kind of, I don't know. I like Brandon. I pick, I just don't know that they can sneak into the playoffs. And if they do sneak into the playoffs, playoffs it's going to be have to, it's going to have to be another team that collapses. And I just don't see any team falling that far off. Um, yeah, the, the part I didn't understand about that. And we did a whole trade deadline thing yesterday. And it, it I didn't realize for a few hours, like, exactly what Phoenix gave up and got back because there was just so many trades. Right. They actually gave up more for Brandon Knight than Miami gave up for Dragic. And Dragic is a better player than Brandon Knight. I don't I I don't understand why they had to give up that Lakers pick. I just think yeah, that that's a great pick. pick to have, you mm-hmm. know? I, I think it was sixth pick today. in the draft. 
Yeah, it could be the, I mean, it's only top three protected after this year. So it could be the number four through 14 next year or the number four through 14 the following year. Yeah. Um, and I don't see the Lakers with Jim Buss and Byron Scott turning, <laughs> turning, that, turning that team around in the next two years. I just don't see it happening. It's possible, but I don't see it happening. I don't know. Yeah, I think the Knicks and the Lakers are just screwed. I, I, I just don't see any semblance of a plan in in either on either team. And even like you look at what Phil Jackson, we we all kind of thought Phil Jackson might be not that great. Yeah. And uh, you just look at what he's done in this first year. It's insane. Especially like if he just kept Chandler, just kept him, not even done anything with Chandler, and then said, "Yeah, I'll, I'm going to trade. I'll trade him during the season." What he would have gotten would have been so much better than what he ended up getting. Yeah, of course. You that, know that piece. That I mean, someone else wrote an article about it. Say I can't remember who it was, but that piece having Chandler and his current well, what that would have been worth to a Western Conference team at this point. Can you imagine what a team would have paid for him versus what Dallas? I mean, Dallas got him so cheap last. The thing I don't get is that is is that he's kind of come come away unscathed, and part of that is because he's got 10 rings or 11 rings or many rings. And so he deserves some time, but he got those as a coach. He didn't get that as a team builder. Yeah. And you have a guy like, like, like Sam Hinkie in Philadelphia, who's just getting lambasted by a lot of people <clears throat> when he's only been the general manager for one and a half years. Yeah. Uh, he's had one and a half seasons to build that team. And people are like, Oh, here they go again. They hit the reset button. They traded away. Michael Carter Williams as well. Michael Carter Williams was like point guard Jesus or something. And, and they're blowing it up. I mean, He's getting, you know, he, he's he's doing the exact same thing that Phil Jackson is now doing, and the only difference is, is is Philadelphia has like a bunch of, they have a lower cap, and they have a bunch of more assets, and he's kind of not getting treated kind of the way that that Phil Jackson is getting treated, which I find to be a little bit weird. Well, and the other problem is, I mean, not problem. The uh, the other thing in Hinky's case, they're going to have three three straight years where they've had two top eleven picks. You know that that. And also the chance to win the lottery in the last two years. Like, and last year they Embiid was the third pick. This year they might win the lottery. Who knows? But yeah, who knows? Um, it, he's assembling real assets. I Haverstrow and I talked about it. I hated the KJ McDaniel's trade. I think he's got a lot of potential. I didn't understand why they did that, but I, I really didn't like that one either. And I, I maybe I'm missing something, but I think the deal is he's a restricted free agent, and I mean he has that weird one year contract that he signed, which is like a genius contract on his part being McDaniels, he being McDaniels. And I feel like they felt that they weren't going to want to match his whatever some team offered him anyways. So, and I also think there's like a little bit of collusiveness to that trade where, where it was a trade between Houston and Philadelphia. Um, and so because of that, uh, I think that was part of the reason why they got But I don't, I don't mind the player they picked up. The point guard they picked up can fly. I like him too. I just love KJ McDaniels, and it's hard for me to believe that Philly would have had a, a, an issue or a problem paying him when they don't have any salaries on their entire roster. Well, I just like, think so they what? didn't see the point in paying him. I mean, what do you think he's going to get in the open market next year? I It'll actually be interesting you, to see. Don't you think he's better off rolling it over for a year and being unrestricted in 2016? I, I like if I was his agent, I would be more focused on that than being restricted next year. Yeah, that's true. I never thought of that. Look, yeah, I don't I, know. I, I don't. I don't know knows? what the real what the real motivation behind that trade was. Maybe it's yeah. just yeah. Maybe it's, it, and it could be a bad trade. I think it it might have just been. 
it's a good pickup for Houston for sure. I mean, I don't really, I'm not a real fan of big fan of the Pablo pickup, but the, I know. <laughs> the 37 year old point guard who, uh, yeah, he's, I mean, he's, he's a, he seems like a smart player. He just doesn't have it. He's like, we, he passes up open shots. Like it's his job. It's so crazy. Um, he he might be one of those guys though, and this is why I would have traded for Jose Calderon too. I think certain guys are just better with better teammates. Barkley yeah. said that last night on TV, and it seemed like the most obvious point ever. But I think it's a point that people don't consider sometimes. Like this, this is why I really like the Dragic trade for Miami. I think Dragic would be really good on that team with those teammates and that coach. You know, I, I think you have to project his ceiling on that team higher than it would have been if he had gone to, you know, uh, Philly or something. Right. Um, and, and I think in, uh, you know, there's just certain, certain trades like Cantor. Okay. I see, I see the fit in OKC. Do I trust Scott Brooks and that offense to use him correctly? Like what the stuff that Steve Kerr did in Golden State, and we were all frustrated with Golden State last year, right? Like yep. you and I, I remember us talking about it. I think we even talked about it on our podcast last year. And you were you were one of the leaders of the whole I think Mark Jackson's overrated, this team isn't running a real offense, blah, blah, blah. And then you see what Steve Kerr did with that offense this year, and you go, Oh, you know, and, and certain guys blossom. All of a sudden Harrison Barnes is an asset. And you know, so I, I just think we forget that sometimes that that the right coach or the right teammates, like it really does matter. You know, sure. I'm a victim of that for sure. I, I see a player and I make a judgment, and I and what I mean, coaches too. And you forget that these people are human and they do improve and they work at their craft. And coaches get better, players get better. Um, it happens, and yeah, context obviously matters for sure. And this uh, is why I, I have no problem. And I, the Isaiah Thomas trade's a little polarizing. Not that anybody really cares because it's not the playoffs. But I think he's they might make be... the playoffs. <laughs> well, they're 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 like like scarily on the on the brink of almost making the playoffs. It's, I don't I don't know that what what their goal is exactly, but it's, they're close to the playoffs. I don't think they'd be opposed to it. You know, it was interesting. They kept Brandon Bass. They got rid of Tayshon, who was was weirdly helping them and preventing James Young from getting minutes. Um, and the Tayshon thing was funny because they just didn't want Doc Rivers to get him, so they ended up trading him. But right. I think, yeah, I mean, I know you watch the Celtics sometimes just because you watch everything. Stevens is a great coach, and they're in every game, and they don't have a crunch time guy, and they haven't had a crunch time guy all season, and they lose these games over and over again in the last two minutes because they can't get a good shot. And Isaiah Thomas can create good shots for himself and other people and I think he's going to be really good in that system. I don't know if I like him on 25 of the teams in the league, but I think for Stevens with the way they play and how they'll use him and need him, I think he's going to be really good. I like Yeah. Him. I don't mind it. I mean, it's that roster is just – it's just such a – you look at up and down their roster and they are – they don't they're like the opposite of like my favorite type of team, which is players who can – I mean, they're kind of positionless. Like my favorite team – and I've been an advocate of this for a long time, where the players that can switch one through five, yeah, who are all, you know, I, I love these the, the teams that really trap and aggressively uh, pressure the pick and roll. I like the teams who who just switch the pick and roll. And if you have players that can do that really well, then you're you're you're, you're really. I mean, Golden State does that. Um, Milwaukee does that a lot, and they're really good at it. But Boston doesn't really have. They just have like a bunch of like six eight to 
they have small forward. I know they have a very interesting, they have no bigs whatsoever. I guess Olenek's not bad. I guess Sollinger isn't bad. They're both young. Their team is really no young. Rim Their whole team is really young. Yeah, no rim protection. Rim protection is, is I mean, and then they have, no team really, there's very few teams with rim protection, but then they have like, just like the players they have, like Evan Turner and, right. I, and, and the, and Bradley and then Marcus Smart. And then now you add, Isaiah Thomas, it seems like they have four very similar size and physical attributes. Although Isaiah Thomas is obviously a lot smarter, smaller and a lot quicker than all those guys. He's kind of similar in some ways. I don't know. Yeah, they're only one one loss away from the seventh seed in the East, just to give you an idea how messed up the, the East is. Oh, but believe me, I'm very focused on it. I, I actually, at this point, I'd rather make the playoffs because I think the difference between they make the playoffs, they're the 15th pick, right? They're the they're yeah. the worst possible playoff team. If they don't make the playoffs, maybe they're the 10th pick. So at that point, mm-hmm. like, who cares? And you're they also, when you get lottery, to that, you could, but we've had such bad luck with the lottery. And I think once you get into, like, the 10, 11 range, you're not probably winning anyway. So right. I don't know. I, 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 I think Stevens needs it. Stevens cares more about, it's funny because people think they, they're tanking or whatever. And Stevens cares more about winning, I think, than any coach who's been saddled with a bad team that I can remember. Like, I really think like he leaves these games and he's at four in the morning in his hotel room thinking that maybe he shouldn't have diagrammed that play for Brandon Bass. Yeah. He should have swung it around. Like, I really think he wants to win all of these games. And uh, what's the way Danny's built that team, He he's not thinking about roster composition. And I think Kinky's kind of the same way. They're just grabbing assets and they throw the assets out on the court and they kind of, you know, they're like, well, you know, we're not going to win the title anyway. So here's some assets. And they see Isaiah Thomas and they think that guy's an asset. His contract's going, you know, he's going to be making like $6 million in two years and he scored 20 points a game last year and we should get that guy. Yeah. And there's Evan Turner and he's available for 3 million bucks. We should just get that guy. And that's how they operate. I thought Evan so, Turner might have been. They picked him up maybe because they were trying to tank, and it was like a way of of, of preventing the coach who seems like he's trying to win, be able to mm. win. Maybe I don't know. He's like a subtle tank. The thing is, I've noticed is there hasn't been very many examples of teams on the court actually tanking. People talk about tanking, but it doesn't really happen on the court. It kind of happens with okay, you go out and win, try and win as best you can, but we're going to give you this collection of players. And maybe what rest happens, this guy, maybe shut down this guy. The only time I've ever, I can remember in the last five years, a team openly trying to lose a basketball game was Golden State four years ago yes. or five, trying to lose a basketball game where they just refused to foul down like three or four or something like that with 35 seconds left or 30 seconds left. And that was because that was, they were going to lose their pick uh, if they advanced or something. I'm not sure what it was. but No, that was, it was, they had to get in the top seven. Or else they lost their pick, and that's how they end up getting Harrison Barnes because they they trashed the last two weeks of the season, basically. Well, the yeah, famous that, one was Mark Madsen was the famous one. That you was the most, that yeah, that was the most egregious. But that was a long time ago. I'm talking about recent yeah. people talk about this recent trend and epidemic of tanking. Um, I I just see it more like, oh, Carmelo, you're going to be done for the rest of the season. You're done for the rest of the season. We're going to trade away this player, trade away that player, and play Travis Ware 30 minutes a night. That's more yeah. of the way you see teams tanking, you don't see them actually like trying to call bad plays or anything. And Boston is a perfect example of that because like you said, Stevens is trying to win every possession. He's probably, 
a brilliant coach. I don't know. It's hard for me to evaluate it because I don't really see that team doing, I mean, they're, they're playing against like mediocre opponents in the East, but how, if you look at that roster, how is that roster? How does that team have 20 wins? It doesn't seem possible to me, but I guess a lot of that is like you said, is just Stevens just being a great coach. They have 20, I think they're 20 and 31 and they, they, they literally should be better than that. Yeah, they only have a point differential of minus one and a half, which is yeah. which is an indicative of that record. That's like indicative of like a five hundred team, or a little bit less than five hundred. You know, you talk about how front offices do the tanking, not the coach. A really good example is trading Tayshawn Prince for nothing and <laughs> throwing James Young in the fire. And it's like that's actually beneficial long term because now James Young's going to get to play a lot, and I really like James Young. It's going to be great for him to play big minutes. But that doesn't help this year's team at all because Tayshaun, right. who I thought was just completely washed up in Memphis, um, was really good for the Celtics for what I think he wasn't bad. Yeah, he's actually yeah, he, improved his wide open his three. He used to have like that three point shot that never got over the front of the rim. Yeah, and he actually improved it the last year. Um, I, I actually have been a big anti. I never understood why Tayshaun Prince played as many minutes as he played on Memphis. I think yeah. that was probably one of the reasons why they traded him away was just to kind of got him away from the coach who seemed to be in love with him. But, um, but well, I yeah, think he's he, a really, he's a really smart player who is fun to play with if you're his teammate. And I just think coaches kind of gravitate toward him because he gets what they want to do. Sure. But that, that, that might not necessarily be a good thing for the team. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think he's, he's not terrible, but he's not going to move the needle in any way positively for your team. I don't think. I think Memphis is going to win the West. Why am I right? Or why am I wrong? Hey, it's possible. Um, the West is wide open. I, I think you're who I, I think the team that everyone's kind of still banking on the Spurs to turn it on. I haven't seen anything that would lead me to believe that this team could turn it on and make a run like they made last year. Um, so the West is truly wide open. Golden State, though, it's not, I mean, Golden State has the, I mean, if Gold, Golden State has the makeup of a team that should roll through the playoffs based on what they've done this regular season. They are not just beating teams. They're beating teams into a pulp. And they're probably underrated. I think people are just not giving them enough credit in some ways. Right. But, um, they ma- I mean, they match up pretty good with, 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 with Memphis. Uh, yeah, Memphis could – I mean, any one of five teams could win. I don't think the Clippers can win at all. But I, I do either. think – I do think Memphis. I do think Golden State. I do think – Oklahoma City, I uh, I think uh, Portland. Those are the four teams I think that are probably above the rest of the teams. Maybe I forgot one. I'm not sure. And then you have people still in love with San Antonio, which may or may not happen. I mean, they're going to be a tough out for sure. And then Houston might be a tough out too. And then you have the Clippers. I think that's basically the hierarchy in the West. I agree. Dallas and Dallas is a level below. The, uh, yeah, Dallas is a level. The one thing Dallas would say is that the year they won the title, they had a terrible record against winning teams as well. Um, but I think this team is just not nowhere comparable to the team they had when they won the title, even though they. Well, I was going to say that they had they had one of the best twenty players ever at the tail end of his absolute prime, and they don't yeah. have that anymore. Yeah, they, I mean Dirk was the great equalizer in a lot of ways. The and they had way more shooting outside shooting that year. I mean that was the thing that really got them was just. 
swinging the ball and hitting open jump shots. Like they resurrected the corpse of Pejo Stojakovic and he just right. came up there and was making threes against the Lakers. Jason Terry was hitting threes. I guess they have the ability to make threes with Parsons um, and Dirk. And then I guess you could say Ellis can hit a three and Devin Harris can and maybe Berea, but they don't just have like that knockdown shooter that I think they're lacking a little bit um, that they had in the past. They're not going to play. They're not. The thing with them is they're never going to beat Golden State in a playoff series ever. That's just not happening. So they have to hope that some other team knocks off Golden State. And I think there's a few teams that are like that, where they're they're just not going to beat Golden State, but maybe another team could. Like Memphis could maybe beat Golden State. I don't think Houston yeah. could beat Golden State ever. But maybe Houston could beat Memphis. So it's it's going to be really independent on what teams match up where and where they line up. Memphis is Golden State's kryptonite team because. Draymond Green is not going to be able to guard Zebo, and so much of their success is dependent on the fact that Draymond Green is this unbelievable stretch four. Yeah, but there's three guys in the league he's not going to be able to guard, and and Zebo unfortunately is one of them. You talked about San Antonio though, um, how you don't see it yet, and we've learned so many times over the years not to bet against the infrastructure that it's always going to work out. But the two things that are different this year. In that respect, one is that Parker, until last night, ironically, has not looked remotely like Parker. I kept waiting for him to get going. All of a sudden, we're at the 50-game mark, and he just was at a different phase of his career. He looked good last night, so maybe it's going to come back, but that was a huge red flag for me. Year 14 for him. And then the other one is, uh, you know, Kawhi just seems like he's having the year from hell. You know, and that and that that's that was the reason they won the finals last year was because in the last three games he took off. I I just haven't seen any indication that things have fallen into place for him this year. And every time it seems like he has momentum, something else happens. So I think also those are my red flags. Is, yeah, I think also just the league is way the consolidation of teams is 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 such that it's just a lot more. There's just a lot more better teams. Like the year that they went through the West, they really kind of had to go through Oklahoma City. And that was about it in terms of the West. It wasn't that. I mean, but now look how good Golden State is. Look how good, you know, Memphis was good as well, but they weren't really ready to beat San Antonio the way they were playing. They didn't really have the, the guys, the, you know, the backup twos and threes that were going to be able to spread the floor and, and San Antonio kind of pack it in against them. They will think they, they will be able to game plan versus most teams and they have the flexibility and they haven't had Patty Mills healthy. They haven't had Kawhi healthy. They haven't had, as you mentioned, Tony Parker play right, so it's possible they're thirty four and twenty. It's not like they're terrible. It's amazing. That's the infrastructure. But yeah, it really is. It's the coaching. It's the players one through twelve that can play at any given time. It's exciting. I mean, I wish the playoffs would just start this week. I'm I'm, I'm kind of over the regular season at this point. I just want to watch the playoffs as a fan. It, would, it, it just seems like it would be it's going to be such a great playoff this year. Well, normally these are the dog days, but the Oklahoma City trying to get into the playoffs thing had was looming as this really, really, really super-duper compelling subplot to the last 20 games. But now it seems like Phoenix is kind of thrown in the towel. And Yeah, Phoenix has won Dallas three games in their last 10. Yeah, yeah. I don't think – yeah, I don't see how Oklahoma City – have you looked at – Have you, when you and Hampshire went over this, did you guys look at their schedule? That's not one thing I really pay too much attention to. But have you – it feels like um, – I don't know. I don't know how who has the easiest, who has the toughest schedule. I know that well, they remember- – Two weeks ago, the Clippers' schedule was about to become a monster, and they've kind of fought through it a little bit. Like they 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 won a couple that 
they caught Houston on on a good night when Houston was tired, hard in a bad game. Last night they they eked out that San Antonio game. I I would have, I just thought that was a game San Antonio usually wins, especially coming after a, a long rest. But, um, yeah, I mean I I'm not that worried about OKC. I'm with you. I'm I the playoffs could start right now and I'd be happy. I do think you made an interesting point about Golden State that I, I think a lot of people miss. They're killing teams. When you have this many blowout wins, especially at home, that's usually a great indication that something good is about to happen with your season. And I would love to see some sort of giant research project on blowout wins past a certain number. How, like, if you have 25 or something in a season, what that translates to for long term success? Because well, I just think if you're killing teams that good- easily. Yeah, point yeah. for joint venture is a good way to do it. You don't even really need to do a big study on it. I mean, they're winning the average game by 11 points a game. Think about that. Right, which second. historically <laughs> is, is means you're going to win the title. Or you're yeah, it's on par the with the Celtics that won the yeah. title and the Bulls who won. That's very, very strong. I mean, I don't think any team has been above 10 in a very, very long time. I, I, so, I mean, that's big. And on top of that, they're doing it in a Western Conference that is pretty competitive one through, let's say, 10 or 11. Pretty competitive yeah. conference. Um, so, yeah, they don't have a cream puff schedule by any stretch of the imagination. And they're just crushing this, teams. I'm doing this off the top of my head, but I, I love point differential when I was trying to figure out in my basketball book who the greatest team of all time was. And I remember the 96 Bulls had like a crazy point differential in the regular season. And then the other team... The 71 Bucks, which was kind of secretly one of the best five teams of all time, but never got mentioned. Okay. I think in the in the playoffs, I think they were plus 15 in the playoffs. Jesus. So, I mean, they were just destroying everybody and never gets mentioned for, you know, because they played in Milwaukee. But, um, and I do 1971, think, everyone's. Yeah, there's very few basketball historians out there like yourself who are able to recollect this stuff. I wasn't certainly. I mean, I, was, I wasn't even born, but even then, I, I haven't even gone back and said, oh, I want to really learn more about 1970s basketball, teach me more about <laughs> <Right>. it. <laughs> That's four, five decades ago. Yeah. Well, when I did, when I, I spent three years writing that book, and the stats weren't nearly as good as, as they are now. Yeah. And I'd be, I'd be interested to see if I felt differently about some of these teams or the, even some of the players. One thing about that whole team that you mentioned was that was the year of uh, that was like around the time of expansion. So the the, the, the product oh, yeah. was really watered down. So I'm not saying yep. they weren't a great team. They obviously were, but they were playing like the, the Grizzlies and the Raptors and a couple other teams. Um, and, and then also the other thing that people don't realize is how difficult it is for a Western conference team to have a really good record because they're traveling back and forth through time zone. Whereas yeah. in the East, you're just not traveling very much. So I think for a team, I think Phil Jackson may have even said this, like there won't be another 70-win team in the league, and if there is, it'll be on a team from the Eastern Conference. I think this was around the time his Lakers were really good. He said, look, it's not, it's not going to happen in the West. Um, right. That seems to make sense to me just based on looking at how these teams have to navigate all these different time zones and play these games in Texas and then travel around, and Minnesota is somehow on the West Coast, and that seems to be pretty weird. They're, they're, they're pretty far away. Um, so it's it's just kind of goofy the way the teams on the West are just are just a lot more. Uh, it's just a lot more difficult for a team to have a dominant record in the West than it is in the East because of travel. Yeah, that expansion argument was why I decided the Bulls weren't one of the best two teams. It w- it was it, it was just a talent poor league 
they just brought too many teams in and the league was just too diluted. Whereas like, if you look at the mid eighties, I think the Celtics, the 86 Celtics, which was a phenomenal team. Um, I think there was only like 21 or 22 teams in the league at that point. So oh, wow. you re- you're able to have, you know, that's how you're able to have like Bill Walton as your sixth man, you know, <laughs> and Scott Wedman as your eighth man. The, the, those are guys that 10 years later would have been starting for other teams. And I think now in 2015, which is one of the reasons I think we're enjoying the season so much, the talent pool is really deep. And you're in situations now where you look at, even like that 2007 Mavs team that we both made money against in the playoffs and won 67 games. And like their fifth best player was Debbie and George, you know, yeah. you compare that team to now with golden state, like golden state's fifth player is who David Lee or Harrison Barnes. Like it's they, like, they are so much more talented from one through nine than that Dallas team was. And it's because the league is more talented. Yeah. The players have, and and being able to understand not so much even talented, but just being able to understand what players can fit in what roles, yeah, um, is is big. Like knowing a player's strengths and weaknesses helps a lot. I read an article about Chris Ballard wrote it about the um, Golden State, and it was a pretty good, it was a really good article actually. And he mentioned how Harrison Barnes wasn't utilized properly last year, taking a bunch of a bunch of ISOs, and this yeah. year they've improved the shooting percentage. And, if you were to compare without context that you'd think, Oh, look at these improvements Harrison Barnes has made in this game. And it was probably just how he was used. A lot of it was improvement. A lot of it was how it was used and some of it was improvement, but yeah, usage and context are pretty important nowadays. And I think that's one thing modern basketball understands more than, than, than even like something like as, as, as recent as 2007. You know, it's funny. I think the players understand it more too. Like I, I read quotes from Harrison Barnes where he was just saying, yeah, we ran ISOs last year, and that's not, I'm not great at ISOs. I'm good at moving without the ball and, you know, moving off screens, and, and now I'm doing that stuff, and that's why I'm playing better. But yeah. I also think you look at somebody like James Harden, who I think 20 years ago just would have had this whole career where he didn't really try on defense and he wasn't in great shape. And he took so much last season that he actually – Rightfully so. Yeah, rightfully, rightfully so. so. But now you watch him and he's in shape and he plays defense and he's one of the best players in the league. He's probably going to win the MVP the way we're going. And I really do think a lot of that happened because of, of the criticism he got last year and the fact that nowadays you can see the criticism. You, you can avoid the papers. None of these guys avoid their Twitter feed. They all look at it. Yep. And if you, you're can't, getting... escape, you can't escape uh, a bad performance uh, no. nowadays. It's just everything is, is... – Everything is recorded and it's fined. Every game is televised. It, it, and the scrutiny level is really high. So, yeah, it, I mean, for the players who aren't getting better, I think that's more, I mean, every player should be getting better because the tools are available for them, whether it's video or, or through data collection um, and properly understanding it. But, yeah, I mean, can you imagine uh, some of the stuff that's happened in the league getting, you know, some of that stuff being happening like some just in terms of like something like the referees like the, the the foolish stuff that went on with some of the referees can you imagine that stuff happening oh nowadays in the days of social media i don't think you'd be able to get away with it i don't know yeah you were like this voice crying in the wilderness who barely <laughs> knew html and nobody could find you because there was no twitter yet yeah. and you're writing about donahay after the fact when the league is claiming that he wasn't actually betting on his games or whatever was going what was wasn't that a claim at one point the league, well, the league still claims to this day that Tim Donaghy uh, 
was not making calls on the court to influence the outcome of his games in favor of that. And that he was actually profiting off of quite possibly the tendencies of, I mean, I don't know what the league claims about that, but they basically said, no, there was no way he was not rigged the game. He was not making calls that influenced the outcome of his bets or of the games in favor of his bets, which is, I mean, I don't want to be held liable for any lawsuits, but I will say that that claim does not hold up well to scrutiny. That's what I will say. Um, I think right. the chances you, of him not fixing games uh, is pretty slow, pretty slim to none. Um, and I don't think my, my point was I don't think you could get away with that nowadays. But maybe they have. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe you could. It's interesting because if you look at it, there's a sport view, right? I tweeted this yesterday. You know about sport view, the data, right? Of course. So you know that. The, the the referees actually used to be in the sport view data where the referees were they tracked them throughout the game which referee you could you could infer things like who made the call based on on the referee moving towards the scorer's table etc cetera, etc cetera, what referee was in what position for each drive with the foul call uh, when the league took over the contract with stats for the sport view data where they they mandated that every team have the cameras and they signed some two-year agreement they scrubbed the referees from the sport view data and so the teams wow. no longer have that access which to me is just kind of insane in some ways i don't understand who that benefits not knowing anything about the referees i don't see how that's a beneficial thing to anyone other than i don't know what i don't know i can't even think of anything can you think of anything where that i mean okay so the one devil's advocate was well they don't want the teams who are really vocal complaining about the refs. but it seems to me like they make a lot of money on fines, finding these people for comp- for talking about the refs. It seems like it's a good revenue source for the league. I don't know how much I don't know how much money some of the more fine donors have have paid it over the course of their careers, but it seems to me like uh, get make, improving the refs is something they should be striving for, not shrouding everything they do in secrecy. Um, yeah, they've so the league's gotten better since Adam took over. The league's gotten better with some of the stuff, and I do how? think. Well, I mean, I think they're a little more transparent than they used to be. Like, how, I guess would be my point. Mm, well, don't they – did they always tell the people way ahead of time who the refs were for playoff They did games? that the very that... year after the Donaghy case because right. that was – so that, so that, that was, was good. Well, that but that's happened – that's been around since 2010. Um, the replay so, yeah, center I mean, is it, good. Replay it, center is a good thing. The replay center is okay. You know what? I don't, I don't think that – so there's certain things like you can keep track of which referee made the call. Anyone could do this. They could collect this information. It's not like it's secret private information. Anyone watching the games and who wanted to spend like an enormous amount of time or research could actually chart which referees are making which fouls and on each play. But it's just interesting that the ref, that the league doesn't supply that information to the teams. The teams have to go out and collect it themselves. That sort of thing yeah. is interesting to me. Um, so you want so you want more transparency. I want the league to not like have like these arbitrary points of emphasis that um, influence the outcome of games randomly, I guess. I want like a, a level playing field where people know what's going on, where you can keep track of things like some of the stuff that me and you talked about, like last, like in private, where there's just certain things that are going on in the league in some, in some cases where it's unclear as to what the motivation is behind it. And it makes it very difficult um, for the teams, and it makes it very difficult for the casual observer. And I don't, I don't know that it benefits anyone when 
when some of the stuff is shrouded in secrecy. I don't know who it benefits other than shady officials, basically, is what I'm getting at. I don't think there are any shady officials. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying I don't know what the point of keeping all of the referee data secret is when anyone can collect it and observe it. And there are referees in the past who have done things who uh, may or may not have been uh, above board, and they were not exposed at all. I mean, look, right. the number, the one guy who was betting on games, admitted he was betting on games, that was the one referee who, Donaghy, right? And the yeah. league actually absolved him from doing anything really wrong other than supplying information to gamblers. So if you're a referee and you're like, wow, they actually caught this guy, pretty much, I don't want to say fixing games, but pretty much getting paid for every time a bet he placed on a game he was officiating won, and the league basically kind of did, didn't say that he was fixing games. So what incentive does a referee have? The worst thing that's going to happen is the referee just let, the league just lets you go. They're not going to want to publicize the fact that you were fixing games. It looks bad for them, right? So I think that set like a bad precedent. If you're an official now and you're thinking about, wow, I, I could make a little bit of money doing this. I could supplement my income. What's the worst that can happen? Well, the worst that can happen is I get caught in some weird FBI investigation like Donaghy did, and I get busted that way. But even then, that seems pretty slim. But if I'm not dealing with criminals, how am I going to get caught? Uh, it's I don't know. It's kind of off topic, but it's, it, that's an interesting thing to me. I don't I don't know that that there's any real way of with the way that the, the league has really kept everything shrouded, all the referee stuff, and, and, and they've shrouded it all in secrecy. I don't know that there's any way for people talk about Deflate Gate, right? Yeah. And how big a scandal that was. This Tim Donaghy thing was a bigger scandal than all of that. And it didn't get, because it came, it happened in 2007 and not 2015. Um, it didn't get the attention it, it deserved. I don't think so. Yeah. Well, I would the like NFL, for all this stuff. Hmm? The NFL version of Donahue calling Scott Foster all those times for reasons <laughs> that we've never fully understood or figured out, I think would have been a bigger deal if it was the NFL. Well, he, yeah, the thing is the year, you know, Donahue did officiate playoff games that year. And yeah. he officiated the one famous Suns-Spurs game that was basically like the roughest game ever with ejection. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I don't want to like bring up all these, but they've talked about how they want to legalize gambling and they want to make money off of it, the league, they being the league. And Adam yes. Silver has used the phrase several times in interviews, take this out of the darkness and bring it into the sunlight and, and bathe it in sunlight, gambling, in other words. And so it just makes sense that they do the same thing uh, with regard to their information, what they're, you know, the, the fact that home court advantage has decreased for no real explanation other than maybe it's because of a few factors like teams shooting more three pointers or this, that, and the other, but maybe it's because they've just provided an edict to the officials. Hey, stop favoring the home team so much. That's a possibility. I think that's too. Definitely, <laughs> yeah. I think that's one of the factors. I think once upon a time, it was really hard to win at home, partly because the home team got more calls. They just got and, the benefit of the doubt. I feel like, um, yeah. Anyways, I think that's an interesting topic in some ways, but whether or not it whether or not it it affects individual players, and I think it, I think social media and all that stuff, just having every clip of everything available nowadays, makes it really hard for someone like James Harden not try on a replay, and it also makes it pretty hard for a referee to probably get away with with doing what the stuff that happened in the, in, in two thousand. That's for sure. Well, and everybody talks about Kings Lakers, but I wrote about this in my book, and I've seen you reference it on Twitter a couple of times. The uh, the 2001 Bucks Sixers series. If that happened in 2015, I think the internet would would it actually closed. shut down. Yeah, I, I don't think what happened in that series is 
the all-time injustice that's happened from one team being favored over another team. It's it just it's inexplicable what the free throw shooting totals were. They make no sense. Actually, put a thing on my Twitter. I pay. I offered like I think it was a thousand dollars or something for anyone who can get me video of that of uh, of like some of some series. That was one of them. There's like a couple games I wanted video of. I found I found a way to get most of it. But that Eastern Conference Finals, I think only Game Six and Game Seven are available. I haven't seen anyone that had the other the other games available. That'd be yeah. that'd be an interesting series to go back and watch. Ninety nine through two thousand three is pretty rough for uh, yeah. for for stuff. I, I go into it in my book with a, a bunch of different details, but you made the key point here. If they're going to have gambling and, it, and they make gambling legal for basketball, which I think they should, and I think it's smart, and I give Adam a lot of credit for figuring out a way to do it because I think he should be trying to figure out all the different revenue streams he can. But if you're going to do it, you better you better make 100% sure that you have the proper amount of transparency with your officials, with how you do officiating, just everything because yeah. it's not the players that are, gonna, that are gonna lead to the gambling scandal if you make gambling legal it's gonna be the officials because they don't make a lot of money Those and are they the can ones just that are gonna benefit it so much easier yeah I mean yeah it would be really different. really you could get away with it I mean very very easily the way Donaghy was doing it was really subtle in some ways and really not so subtle in other ways but he was right. influencing the outcome of games by doing things like calling illegal defense calls you know getting key players in foul trouble that sort of stuff it's it can be really, really subtle, and you can, yeah. The, well, the one thing that's interesting to me is, is I read this, is you know they're trying to partner up, and the one thing that I think is clear that cannot happen is the league cannot get any revenue aside from some marketing amount from these casinos. Could you imagine the nightmare if the league actually got money based on how much money these casinos were making off of the gambling? It would be like in the league's cut? best interest. I'm sorry? They got like a cut, like 30%, yeah. like StubHub? <laughs> or, yeah, or... Yeah, or like you know the old the old school. I mean, it would it would be in it would be in the league's best interest financially to make the outcomes as random and unpredictable as possible. Which would this is a, coming from a selfish perspective, but it would make it very difficult for someone like me if the game just became random and it was like betting on a basketball game was no different than <laughs> than trying to gamble on a roulette wheel. Which I think um, I've read in a few of the articles they were looking at some different revenue streams, including profit sharing, which would be highly highly suspect in my opinion. That's something that they need to avoid at all costs. You want to charge a, a casino a fee? Great. You want to take a per- percent of what the revenue is? Not so great. And the other the other fantasy, uh, the other stream that they're going to be able to get are these day-to-day fantasy um, sites that are popping up like DraftKings and... Yeah, um, DraftKings and FanDuel. Those are the two FanDuel, big ones. all that stuff. That's Which is I'm basically sure gambling. The fact that that totally. is legal. That's not even basically gambling. It is gambling. It's gambling. Uh, Yes, yeah. it's 100% gambling. Uh, Horala, Bob, this was a pleasure. I'm glad we were able to do this. Um, are you in L.A. or are you going back to Canada? I'm in. No, I'm going to be in Canada. for. I was in Europe for a while, and now I'm going to be in Canada probably for the rest of the – maybe the playoffs. I'll come check out a few playoff games, but for the most part in, in Canada. All right. Well, thanks for coming on. We will follow you on Twitter at H-A-R-A-L-A-B-O-B at – um, check them out. One of the funniest Twitter feeds and, and smartest ones, too. Always a pleasure. Talk to you Thanks, soon. Bill. Appreciate All right. it. Bye-bye. Target to set off.
Thank you for downloading the BS Report with Bill Simmons. Too much fun. Check out more podcasts at the iTunes Music Store or at Podcenter at ESPNRadio.com. Peace out.